A gruesome, random murder leaving a man's face unrecognizable. A female perpetrator, no motive for the crime. The victim's face was lacerated beyond recognition and there was an intense struggle, but there was no indication that the victim ever knew or even met the person who killed him. There was no premeditation and no previous indication that anything was wrong in the area. The crime happened right here in Raleigh County, the center of Southern West Virginia, and right in the backyard of 59 News. On February 7th of 2015, a 911 call was made reporting on the murder of 69-year-old Ronald Lee Browning. Ron Browning was found lying in a pool of blood and glass by his own wife after she had gone out earlier in the day. There were signs of struggle and the house had been rummaged through by the attacker. The crime wasn't isolated though, and could have been worse. A string of following break-ins near Ron Browning's house were also discovered after police conducted a neighborhood canvas, which were committed by the same attacker. Later in the day, 19-year-old Camille Brown of Beckley was taken into custody. On February 9th, she was identified as the prime suspect in the case. But how and why did a young girl murder an innocent man who lived a few streets away from her? Welcome to Crime in the Coalfields. I'm your host, Izzy Post, and every other Tuesday, we take a look into the most notorious and bizarre crime cases across Appalachia. Every episode, we bring you new cases from missing persons to unsolved murders and more. This podcast is an exclusive podcast produced by 59 News. Crime in the Coalfields is sponsored by Rose and Questenberry Funeral Homes and Notoriously Morbid. When originality is everything, Notoriously Morbid has you covered. We offer a full array of exciting cosmetics, and if alternative clothing is your style, we have it. Check us out online or stop by. Notoriously Morbid. Embrace your beautiful darkness. How would you like to relieve the emotional and financial burden off of those you love, express your own wishes, and avoid conflicts among family members? Call Sandy Evans at Rosenquist and Berry today. During this week's episode, we cover the investigation and sentencing of Camille Brown for the murder of Ronald Lee Browning a mystifying crime with no discernible motive involved, despite the case being open and shut. On February 7, 2015, Ronald Lee Browning was murdered in his home on Odessa Avenue in Beckley. He was a Vietnam War veteran and the chaplain at Raleigh General Hospital for 25 years at the time of his death. We spoke with Raleigh County Prosecuting Attorney Ben Hatfield about the details of the case, and he helped us figure out how the investigation and the trial went for this specific case. After she left Browning's house, um, she did go and knock on a couple other people's doors and things like that in that neighborhood. Um, so, you know, we knock on wood as to what could have been um, that wasn't after the murder of, of Ronald Browning. So, uh, we're thankful for that, but um, certainly a wild case. And then 
the ensuing legal battle and, you know, followed. It was an exhaustive investigation and there was no shred of evidence or inclination that these two had ever even been in the same proximity. They just didn't know each other, had never communicated, had never met, um, had never lived in similar neighborhoods. There was no connection whatsoever. This is unique because it has two details that are uncommon for many crimes, especially here in West Virginia. Firstly, the case was a random killing. Second, the killer was a woman. Camille Brown was a West Virginia native. She was born in Charleston and went to Woodrow Wilson High School in Beckley. She attended WVU for a semester before coming home. Everything seemed normal to everyone around her, especially friends and family. Her childhood friend, Tori Peck, was interviewed following the crime and said, quote, to me, it literally feels like somebody made up a story or something and put it on the news because it's just so completely out of character for who she is, end quote. The damning piece of evidence that put Camille at the scene of the crime as a prime suspect was a single box braid next to Ronald Browning. In a pool of his blood, what was later confirmed to be one of Camille Brown's braids. From there, the investigation determined that her description matched the description given by witnesses following the crime. Two other families described her breaking into their homes. One victim was Grattan Underwood, another U.S. military veteran. He was 87 years old and testified that he too was attacked and choked by Camille Brown. A second family, the Sloans, also testified that Camille broke into their home, dripping with blood, before the police were called and she was taken into custody for the two break-ins. When she was taken in, she had cuts and gashes all over her hands. So they take her to Raleigh General. She's so combative, they can't treat her. She's manic, she's kind of talking out of her head. Uh, Raleigh General refuses her. Um, at this point, I think she's kind of placed hands on some, some healthcare staff. And so they end up taking her to Bar H. Um, they restrain her, um, I believe sedate her in order to get her treated because she has some, um, some superficial injuries uh, from that night as well. While Camille Browning was being treated for her injuries, she was quoted as saying to both police and hospital staff that she, quote, killed an old white man, end quote. During the interview of Camille Brown, she was deemed lucid. She proceeded to give details that were consistent with the evidence and testimony of the crime. The previous day, Camille was fine. She was a fun-loving girl like those close to her described. She woke up on February 7th and something wasn't right. She left her house in the morning because she didn't feel right. She wandered around the neighborhood for hours, at one point claiming that she went to the Tudor's Biscuit World because she was thirsty, but then leaving before she could get a drink because the staff were being racist. Camille claimed she was being led by the wind for most of her journey saying she was going in the direction that felt right. She knocked on a few doors before she finally came to Ron Browning's house. He answered the door and she asked for water and he let her in. Then, that's when things went wrong. 
Camille claimed that she felt something wasn't right. She proceeded to strangle Ron Browning and fight him to the ground. She fought him until she thought he was dead, but then came back to finish the job because he, quote, just wouldn't die. Camille grabbed a large jar while she was searching Browning's house. She broke the jar, smashed it on Browning's face over and over again. She rendered the man unrecognizable. Browning's last words were feebly calling for Rex. Camille thought he was calling for a dog, but he was calling for his wife, Rexana. To finish the job, Camille kicked Ron Browning until he died because he, quote, kept breathing and breathing and breathing, end quote. We had a chance to see crime scene and autopsy photos of Ronald Browning, and it was devastating what happened to this man. Following the murder, Camille stayed in Browning's house for hours. She did a lot of unexplained things, like drinking cough syrup and milk. She went into the attic and sat in the dark, looked through his belongings and letters, took her clothes off to shower, and contemplating burning the house down after she soaked the garage in gasoline. She finally left the house wearing Browning's Raleigh general uniform. Camille admitted to the crime and pled guilty to a count of murder and two counts of burglary, but her defense was one of diminished capacity. Diminished capacity meant that she was not in control of her actions at the time due to an outside influence. She claimed it was bad drugs. The defense was that of diminished capacity. Um, she essentially was smoking some synthetic marijuana and that she had some bad synthetic marijuana. Um, she obtained a, a forensic psychological report or evaluation um, that kind of commiserated this. Camille had used marijuana for years. As she stated, she had been using it since she was 11 and that the last time she had marijuana was the day before the murder was committed. She claims that the drugs she had received were bad. They very well could have been. Synthetic marijuana, like what Camille might have been using, is a cocktail of different and sometimes unknown chemicals sprayed onto plant material to achieve similar results. Camille Brown was lucid enough to be interviewed after the crime, but her descriptions and answers seemed unusual, like she wasn't in her right mind. She could have been in shock, or she could have snapped before the crime. During Camille's interviews, she said several times that she didn't want to kill Browning and that she had never done anything like this before. But she claimed that something told her to keep going. Quote, the only thing I can really think of is that she was sick, her childhood friend Tori Peck said when asked about why she would have committed the crime. I was just hearing what was going on, consulting on it. Um, the former elected was the one handling it. I think she feared a possibility of um, a few lesser included offenses or even an acquittal. So she ended up cutting a, a plea deal with Miss, Miss Brown. Um, ultimately, Miss Brown is, is probably set to get out of prison. Um, you know, she definitely will be out, if not on parole, uh, she will discharge that sentence because I believe the sentence was 35 years determinate. 
Um, so she'll be a relatively young person uh, when she's released from prison. Um, that's that's something that um, that is, is a product of the sentence she received. Camille's defense of diminished capacity was accepted, and she was sentenced to a total of 30 years in prison for Ron Browning's murder. Was she under the influence of bad drugs, though? Or did she suffer a psychotic break and go on a killing rampage because of an existing mental illness? She did admit to taking Celexa, an antidepressant. But other than that, there was no indication that Camille Brown ever had anything else wrong with her. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime in the Coalfields. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a five-star rating wherever you're listening and recommend it to a friend. If you have information about any crime cases anywhere in the coal fields of Appalachia, let us know, and we may feature it right here on the podcast. If you know about a crime and would be willing to talk to us about it, contact us and we could bring you here right on the podcast. This episode is part of an exclusive podcast experience presented by 59 News, sponsored by Rose and Quessenberry Funeral Homes and Notoriously Morbid. This episode was written by Harper Emsch and Izzy Post, hosted by Izzy Post, with production assistance by Harper Emsch and Brandon Eanes.